I mean, you know, Michelle, in the in the past there were the dark ages, and that's just because there were too many nights. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh. I can't. I can't. Not. I just. Um, yeah, you you can't until I download the sound effect on my phone. Okay, okay that's right. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll rein it in. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 96. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about not taking ourselves too seriously. American Congregationalist clergyman Henry Ward Beecher once said, quote, A person without a sense of humor is like a wagon without springs. It's jolted by every pebble in the road. End quote. There aren't many things in life that lift a person's spirits like a heartfelt laugh. And despite some personal and societal challenges, we think our culture is in rather dire need of a good belly laugh right now. It's been a rather jolting, pebble-ridden ride as of late. But first, do you love this podcast? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter, and for just $5 a month, you will have exclusive access to our sister podcast, The Friday Finishing School. Find the link in our show notes. Another way that you can support this show is by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We are also so thankful for every rating, review, and comment you leave us. Your reviews on iTunes help new listeners discover us. This week's shout out goes to Nellie Kane Macias, who wrote us a five-star review on iTunes saying, quote, I so look forward to your podcast. I've been listening for over two years. I heard about your podcast from another podcast, which escapes me at the moment. I used to listen while driving all around Dallas, Texas with my young children, and now I mainly listen while at home cleaning and cooking. I love your rapport. Y'all are so blessed to have each other. I learned so much from the interesting historical facts at the beginning and feel like I have heard the podcast change and deepen a little bit given our present times. I especially appreciated and was moved by Lindsay's amazing testimony and experience with the traditional Latin mass. Thank you and prayers for you both, your podcast and families, end quote. Well, thank you so much, Nellie Kane Macias. Your comment has truly made our day. We are so honored to have you with us all this time and are thrilled that you are enjoying the show. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Today we are going to look at some of the etiquette behind serving a cup of coffee to guests. In the past, we have looked into how to make a proper cup of tea, and we have discussed coffee a few times before, but never quite like this. This information comes to us from a website for the coffee, Café Moreau. The first tip, and they have this bolded, so it must be very important. The first tip is that coffee should never be drunk at the dinner table, but rather served in the living room. Once everyone is comfortably seated in the living room, coffee is to be served on a tray. Oh, sorry, they had an elegant tray written on it. And on that tray, there must be coffee cups, saucers, teaspoons, cream, and a sugar bowl. This website also stipulates that aside from the teaspoons, everything else must strictly be made of porcelain. 
Okay, so you're about to hand your crust a cup of coffee. You need to make sure that the handle is facing to the right and that the teaspoon is also on the right side of the saucer. You should fill each cup to two thirds of the way full. There is some debate over sugar and whether the hostess adds the sugar or if the guests help themselves. If the hostess adds it, she must ask how much and she does not stir it in. The guest stirs their own coffee. Now it's time to drink the coffee, but first, even if no sugar has been added, you must stir your coffee in order to release the aroma. Stir slowly, moving the teaspoon from the top to the bottom. This was also bolded, so I guess it's also very important how you stir it. And it says that you should stir it like you're stirring polenta. Okay. Um, I've never stirred polenta, but I guess I can figure it out. This website also says to bring the cup to your lips and not the other way around. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Are there people that <laughs> bend down to meet the cup? This part is really interesting. It suggests that you do not lick the spoon, even if it is very tempting with yummy sugar all melted on it. Here's the absolute best part. And it's so good that I need to quote it exactly. Quote, coffee should be drunk silently without emitting strange sounds. Noted. When placing the cup back onto its saucer, be sure to do so very quietly and with the teaspoon on the same side as the handle. You see, I thought that if we wanted all this etiquette, that's what tea is for. <laughs> I thought coffee was for the rest of us. That's right. Just for the working class. But I realized, I think this is an Italian website that's been translated. And it makes sense that they would take their coffee and their espresso as seriously as a British tea drinker would take their tea. That's true. Yeah. So I think it's uh, getting your espresso. There. There's a whole second part about how to order it at it, like an espresso mm. bar or at a coffee bar. And I mean, we can talk mm -hmm. about that another time. But it's serious business, Michelle. Yes, it is serious business. I, I guess in the mornings, I'm going to have to put a little bit more thought and a little bit more effort <laughs> into the solemnity with which I drink my coffee. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Actor Donald O'Connor in the 1952 classic Singing in the Rain once belted out, make him laugh, make him laugh. Don't you know everyone wants a laugh? But do we, Lindsay? Do we? And do we still know how? That's the question. That is the question. Um, but Michelle, I can't stop thinking about this. Did you hear about the cheese factory that exploded in France? No. It, it was happened? nothing but debris. Oh. <laughs> this is where I put in that sound, uh, the womp womp sound effect, right? Yep. yep. Which my kids have downloaded onto their phones. So they can end the drum sound. To do -ch. Yes. So those are employed a lot in our house. <laughs> so we started to research not taking oneself too seriously, right? How to bring mm -hmm. laughter back into your life. Um, um, I always find psychology today, we reference them a lot. They have some really good articles about this. And one of them asked the question, what happens when you ask a group of kids to draw? And they answer their own question in the article saying, well, they start to draw. And if you ask them to dance, mm -hmm. well, they dance. They continue on and discuss what happens when we ask adults to do the same things. And most adults hesitate going, well, I don't know. That's mm. when our logical brain steps in because we fear being ridiculed. And so you and I think it's really important <laughs> to laugh a lot. We laugh a lot in this podcast. We don't <laughs> take ourselves too seriously. And we found that that has really helped us endure 
the hard days, the long days, right? And so this mm-hmm. is something that's really close to our hearts. Mm-hmm. Having a lighthearted disposition can really take the edge off of a lot of difficult things, right? Yeah. Uh, and it has so many different facets to it too, like what you're alluding to. There's comedy. There's just a, a general demeanor of lightheartedness. There's um, different avenues of humor that you can look into. There's uh, the concept of living joyfully. Like all of these things kind of uh, wind themselves up into this overarching theme of uh, lightening up <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit <laughs> and mm-hmm. and not taking ourselves too seriously so we can do that. <laughs> yeah, I have just recently learned that some people really don't understand humor and I find it's even sadder. Some people haven't laughed, like really laughed in a long time. Mm. I didn't know this. And it first struck me. So there's a show that I love called The Good Life. I've told you about it, the sitcom Mm -hmm. from the mid 70s from England. And in one episode, there is this neighbor. She is stuffy and snooty and deadpan. Her name is Margot. And in this one episode, she'd had a little bit too much wine. And she confessed that she doesn't understand humor at that moment. She reflected back on her childhood, realizing that she didn't understand what all the other little girls were laughing at. And she's crying and she goes, I am not a complete woman. Now you have to understand this is a funny scene though, uh, (laughs) during the emotion. I am not a complete woman. I haven't got a sense of humor. She said, you know what they used to call me in school? They called me starchy. She goes, I never (sighs) understood the jokes. And so then I became the butt of all of them. And I only laugh because it's polite and I don't know why I'm laughing. And so she has this scene, right? And it's a hilarious Mm -hmm. scene. It's very well acted. It's very well written. But it's also devastatingly sad. And I felt like deeply personal. Now, the scene ends with the two couples. So there's two couples. And they're trying to move something large and awkward. And they've all had a little bit too much wine. Three of them are (laughs) laughing really hard as they're trying to move this thing. But Margot... (laughs) This character joins them in laughing. And you think as the observer, she's finally got it. And she's laughing. She goes, I still don't know why I'm laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, it just really struck me. And then you and I were talking about this as well, that there's this Catholic writer. Her name is Hallie Lord. And Mm -hmm. I came across a post she had made where she said that she hasn't really laughed in a very long time. That somewhere, I think she said between the age of 10 and 37, she lost her sense of humor. And she's best friends with Jen Fulweiler. A lot of our Catholic listeners Mm -hmm. will know Jennifer Fulweiler. She is a stand-up comedian and Catholic writer. But um, Hallie Lord goes on to say in that Instagram post that she did find her sense of humor again, somewhere between the ages of 37 and 41. And she Mm -hmm. just talks about how important it is to pursue laughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I remember seeing that post, too. And I was really struck by it because what it did was it made me think, too. And I think she actually turns the question in her caption to the Mm -hmm. reader. Mm She's like, when was the last time you laughed? And I think especially with what's going on in the world or um, the heaviness of what's happening right now, but even just in general, I think adulting, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes we don't stop to ask ourselves and the days can kind of get away from us until you just stop and you think to yourself, when have I laughed? And um, maybe not even like the Margot kind of laugh, <laughs> which I admire Margot for being a trooper and just joining in anyways. <laughs> but really, truly like that deep laugh that bubbles up from inside of you and kind of like shakes your whole body. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of laugh. When was the last time? Right. And honestly, it's something 
I do have in my life all the time. And I thought I've been thinking a lot about this and I have to admit that the friendships, the ones that I put, I think the most time and effort into the people Mm. that I really carve time out for are the people that make me laugh and that I can laugh with, right? Like that's really, really valuable to me. Um, I am a silly woman and I'll do almost anything to get a laugh. And for years, I used to think, oh my goodness, I even laugh too loudly, too wholeheartedly, you know, the throwing my head back and laughing. Um, but I laugh harder and longer, I guess, at myself and just really can see the humor in things and how that has gotten me through so many things. And so I don't know how to live a day without that kind of laughter, but I'm, I have been shocked that so many people seem to have lost that and Mm -hmm. it begs the question. And you and I've talked about this before. Did people in the past have more fun than we are Mm -hmm. having now? Mm -hmm. Well, and if anyone is at all wondering, like, is Lindsay just from a different era with her (laughs) silliness? I think you can just go back in her Instagram account to Halloween um, this year. Where you were handing out candy dressed in that Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. Yes, but that was after I played at the park by myself as an inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get your tail on a swing, not an easy task. So, I mean, yeah, did people in the past have more fun? (laughs) Maybe, but not more than Lindsay. So I think there's a distinction that (laughs) could be made here. (laughs) You and I have talked about when we see pictures of like, house parties Mm -hmm. from the 50s right you've got the Mm -hmm. traditional lampshade on the head uh the women pulling up their skirts with their stockings showing uh just those silly those silly pictures of people Mm -hmm. having fun and we look back and they're like wow i mean obviously they didn't have to deal or worry about the internet although their pictures still have ended up on the internet (laughs) (laughs) forever and ever um but And I even look back at my own parents. And so um, my parents partied in the mid 80s. I was born in 1980. And so I remember very clearly being five in the height of the mid 80s, the parties they'd go to on our street, all of the people were the same age, we all built houses at the same in the same year. So everybody moved in together. And they were all young families, people in their 20s. And so I remember all of us kids would be huddled into one house with a babysitter, we'd share one babysitter (laughs) for like 15 kids. And then the parents would all go down the street to another house. And they would all walk up and down the street checking all the kids but they had a blast there were mm-hmm. themed parties where they'd all have to dress as famous characters or they would all they would have like an italian pasta night and have italian last names i i just remember being a child and seeing that sense of of humor in mm-hmm. the other adults and i don't feel like we all do that in the same way with our friends it's true because I, I would have similar experiences uh, from when I was a kid just hearing about even my mom saying um, her mother and that generation in our family mm-hmm. would do a lot of skits and shows oh, yeah. at family parties, right? And my mom said she's like, it was silly. It was very silly kind of a humor where like her uncles would dress and <laughs> like do a, a trio with a little dance in front yes. of the family for their enjoyment for their laughter right and I'm like my goodness we never do anything like that (laughs) at our family parties we can't get our husbands to dress up for Halloween (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
It's true. Um, and, and then I also remember helping out at or waiting for my mom to finish meetings with our parish's Catholic Women's League mm-hmm. when we were growing up. And I, like those women, I've mentioned to you, but they were wild. They were <laughs> such a hoot. This is a church ladies meeting in the basement of the church. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard the entire room packed with women of all ages. They're laughing until they're in tears over a skit that a few of them got dressed up for to perform. <laughs> or they're doing a sing-along and there's that one woman in the crowd. I know who she is exactly. And I still love her to this day. <laughs> who's decided... To to change her voice she's just singing like this now <laughs> like amongst everybody else and they can't keep it together yes. and so right and yes. then it's interesting for us to look at uh, amongst our own age group and to look for similar instances and I'm sure there are like there are a lot of funny people even in our generation too but this kind of whole cultural ability to laugh and make light and make yes. fun it yes. uh, does seem to be a little bit uh, lacking. Like, I want to be at that Catholic Women's Group um, League meeting like you're yes. describing. I want to be there. <laughs> I have been to many a mom group or women's group meeting, and there has not been that silliness, that lightheartedness. And mm-hmm. it's – I am – you're saying that and I'm hungering for that. And I come from a long line of hilarious women. My own grandmother, who I've told you about at those Catholic women's league meetings would carry a fake egg in her purse and would whip it at the other elderly women. And she'd be like, catch the egg. And they didn't know it was fake. And so they would be hysterical as this egg was hurtling towards them at a Catholic women's league meeting. And that's where I come from. That's Mm -hmm. in my DNA. And so I want to be that woman at the meetings, but everybody is so deadpan a lot of times, right? They're just, and it's not that they don't have it within them. It's just that I feel like, I don't know if it's just like a collected, sorry, or a collective trauma that we've gone through lately, maybe due mm. to social media, just due to this, what we perceive to be the seriousness of the state of things um, that is really, that has really just drained our sense of humor from us. And mm-hmm. You know, I I guess the truth is when we look back on those old photos of parties and some of that old behavior, yeah, there was some, sometimes some bad things that resulted from some of that. There was a lot more drunk driving. There was sexual Mm. misconduct. There was bullying. There was, you know, there was some of those behaviors in the past. We did have to refine. We're not ignoring that, that there were some things that went on that people all thought was funny at the time that isn't as funny now. We get that, that. We're not, you know, making excuses for that. But to pretend that we're in a time that is so serious that we can't lighten it up a bit. I mean, again, just study history for a couple of minutes and you'll know that things have been way mm-hmm. worse in the past. So has our humor been stolen from us individually in your own life? Have you gone through trauma or stress or exhaustion or you, you've been through an illness where you just feel like you can't get back there, that you've lost it? or And has it been stolen from us, I guess, collectively as a culture right now? You know, is, is it because we are heck bent on not forgiving people um, <laughs> for being in a, 
I guess in a place again, thanks to social media, where we feel like you can't ever say the wrong thing because it will mm-hmm. haunt you forever. And that might be the tiniest little misstep you take. So heaven forbid you actually dress up in a costume and do a funny skit because that might, you'll really lose your job over that. It's just these questions, right? Are we mm-hmm. too serious now? Have we created this society where we can't engage in, in satire or those classic forms of humor anymore? Right. And I think that is like the the danger, we'll say, to comedy and humor nowadays. Because mm-hmm. even even ten years ago, comedy looked so different. Yes, we, we had comedy. Yes, <laughs> like it's so different that you can hardly find it anymore these days. Um, but you know, and you and I have talked about the you know the balancing of what we would call equal opportunity comedy, mm-hmm. <laughs> where they kind of rib on everybody <laughs> equally <Yeah. laughs> um and when it kind of steps over the line right because mm-hmm. because there are some stuff and especially as as catholics and as christians we're no strangers to when um mm-hmm. comedy kind of makes us take a step back and being like whoa <laughs> yeah i don't know about that so you know as with everything else it is rather nuanced however like perhaps we have also lost our ability to uh, filter for ourselves we're relying Mm -hmm. a little bit too much on the source itself to filter um, for us if something um, offends me for example I'll use the example of the singer that you and I were talking about a few weeks ago Tom Mm -hmm. Lehrer yeah right he was a singer songwriter pianist uh, comedian uh, in the 70s I think more the 70s and he wrote little parody songs they're really funny they're products of their own times (laughs) we'll just say that um but he has one particular song it's called the vatican rag (laughs) oh i've not heard the vatican rag yet i as a catholic i understand where Uh the comedy is coming from he obviously is not a catholic Mm -hmm. but as a catholic i don't wish to call for the end or the cancellation of Tom Lehrer I just won't listen to that particular right song right? right and so I wonder if if it goes a little bit too far this expectation of the source of humor to always be constantly filtering is a side product of that just the complete disappearance of it yeah you make such a good point with this and it's like so even if it's something that um we don't want to hear or we don't like or whatever. Yeah. Does it cancel out that person as a person? No, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that we just need to be able to kind of grow a bit of a tougher skin, laugh at what we can laugh at, and then be a little bit more selective about what we allow to offend us. And sometimes we can laugh a few things off. But you're not going to know that unless we allow humor to creep back in, right? When we just throw it all out, (laughs) then Mm -hmm. uh, we completely lose the ability to discern what we Mm -hmm. think is funny or what we allow in our house as humors or what kind of humor we want to have, like um, project ourselves. What kind of sense of humor do we have? What kind of jokes Mm -hmm. do we think are okay to share? We're not going to know any of that if we've just completely canceled this culture of comedy. Right. Yeah. Like if they're not, if no one's even allowed to tell a joke. Yeah. Right. For fear of uh, offending somebody, then what's going to happen is probably there will be no more jokes. Yeah. For the <laughs> but first no one time will be ever. offended. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, actually, people will still be offended by something, <laughs> yes. but the, we just won't be able to laugh either. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so how can we lighten up? How can we lighten ourselves up, our homes, our families, our culture, Michelle? How do we do it? Well, actually, there are a lot of great tips online. Um, Mm. And I know we can speak from personal experience. But one thing that I have found very, very helpful in trying to shift to a more lighthearted approach to life is um, this eternal perspective Mm. or or at least a big picture view of things. I think it takes a lot of weight off of the current situation or predicament that we're in. So we can laugh at a lot of things or take things a lot less seriously when we consider that ultimately, ultimately, in the whole scope of my entire life, this one thing, how much does it matter? And does it really matter in the end? Yep, absolutely. And if, if you need a more immediate solution, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a new kind of procedure that has just been completed by surgeons at the University of Utah. Mm. Um, you can find this info on the healthcare.utah.education or edu website. And in this article, Dr. Lou DeCris talks about the first ever successful funny bone transplant surgery, Michelle. And he said it takes about a <sighs> month to heal, but it will leave you in stitches. <laughs> You really had me. Oh, well, there's a whole interview. So this interview is hilarious. And it's really on this website. We'll link to it in the show notes. Dr. Lou DeCris discusses the location of the funny bone, pointing out I hear that it we... now. <laughs> it took me a couple even read-throughs to figure it out myself. Um, pointing out that we each have two funny bones. And contrary to what we've learned from the board game operation, it is not in our arm. It is not in our arm. <laughs> He said that 70 to 80% of our humor is attributable to our funny bone. Uh, So transplants can really help with that. But the truth is, and this is where good satire shares deep truth, that he says 20 Mm -hmm. to 30% of our sense of humor has to come from somewhere deep inside of our own hearts. And after this brief serious moment, the doctor goes on to say that in recovery, they start introducing humor back into the transplant patients, first with some light British comedy, followed by some saved by the bell. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then back to more heavy British comedy. Got it. That's right. You cycle back. Always you cycle back to British comedy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I thought that was a good immediate. If you really just can't, you know, think big picture or philosophize your way through it and you just need a, a funny bone transplant, just go to the University of Utah. It seems that they are pioneering that new surgery. Perfect. There's a procedure for everything these days. <laughs> <Sure is. laughs> So what you were saying about big picture, you know, it always leads my back, my mind back, obviously, to our faith and to God. And I think that one of the things that we forget we can do is we can pray to be more lighthearted. Mm-hmm. We can pray to laugh more. And there's actually mm-hmm. so much about laughter in scripture. Um, in Judges, it says, let your heart be merry. Psalm 98 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. My favorite is Proverbs 17. And it says, a merry heart doth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones, dryeth the Hmm. bones, right? Are you dry to your bones right now? I mean, that speaks to me. Um, and I, I naturally have a merry heart, but man, that just, that image really sums up to me. So the Bible is very clear, um, that we are to have joyful hearts. And this is especially important right now as we enter into Lent today. Um, mm. It talks about not fasting with a gloomy face, right? Um, or mm-hmm. the other words were somber or downcast or a sad countenance. And so 
what does your face say um, when you are Mm. entering into this Lenten period? But yeah, we can ask God to help lift up our hearts into that joy, that, that laughter. It's, it's throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. I love that because I like to think that God does have a sense of humor. Totally. (laughs) Often I picture him up there, like kind of elbowing St. Peter and he's Mm -hmm. like, watch this. Yeah. (laughs) And then we do something ridiculous down here. Right. Or, you know, even joking with God, I really do hope God has a sense of humor because if not my humor with him has fallen flat (laughs) and I don't know it. (laughs) Like if I like even something like I stub my toe, for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, once the initial pain has subsided a bit, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes roll my eyes to heaven and say something like, yes, hilarious Lord. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then laugh, like laughing with God even. Absolutely. Um, because he is the God of of humor. He's the God of everything. And I believe he gets the joke. <laughs> Jason will actually high five God. Um, so if I'm being a little snarky and then I stub my toe because it always happens like that, I turn around and Jason does a high five up to the sky. <laughs> and it immediately That's cuts fantastic. the tension, right? Like right. it totally does, which we'll talk about in a minute about why it's so important that we are joyful and the benefits of laughing as a wife and a mother. But yeah, mm-hmm. like I firmly believe God has a sense of humor. And so when you do shift your attention to that, about to the fact that A, he wants us laughing. He wants us full of joy. He wants us to have those peaceful hearts that can make room for humor and for lightheartedness. But at the same time, while focusing on the big picture and on the end game. Mm -hmm. And for a little bit more on that, go back to last week's Memento Mori episode. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because there is an end end game still there. Um, But that, yeah, that that, this is what God desires for us. He he doesn't want us to be so gloomy that, you know, life is a gift and that it is a joy and that, that when we can bring that into our homes, it can really transform our families in a way again that they will bring back out to the community at large mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and another way I was thinking you can you know keep things light around you know your own life and your own house is to develop a self-deprecating sense of humor mm-hmm. Lindsay I know you and I have very self-deprecating mm-hmm. senses of humor yeah um you are your own best material Okay. Yeah. You are whoever's listening right now. You're hilarious because (laughs) we are all flawed human beings. (laughs) We do ridiculous things sometimes. Um, Not thinking so much of ourselves, I think, helps us see that even our mistakes um, to a certain extent are not the end of the world usually. And often they're rather funny. I can totally watch an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos. And I say to my kids, I'm like, I've done that. Mm-hmm. I've done that. <laughs> I've tripped over the lawn chair. I've run into trees, like <laughs> all of these things. And they laugh and they're like, really? They can't believe it. But um, my own klutziness all throughout my life, it used to be something when I was a kid that I was self-conscious about. But now I see there's so much opportunity for sharing and making other people laugh <laughs> uh-huh. by, by the klutziness that I've, I've embraced it, well, we shall say. But you can only do something like that if you just don't take yourself quite so seriously as all that. 100%. You cannot, I firmly believe you cannot get through and endure motherhood and mm-hmm. all of the, um, 
the reality of even what happens to your body, bodily functions with pregnancy and childbirth and children and all of those early years of sleep deprivation and just the seriousness of life. I, like there are so many, and, and th- I'm so thankful for children for having done this to mm-hmm. me. There's so much readily available laughter and humor just in motherhood alone, just yeah. in yeah what goes on in you and then what you see in your children. And so it's right there. Like you're saying, like you are your, you are already a comedian. You've already got funny material happening and you are your own best audience. So it's, it's all right there. It's true. Um, <laughs> and if you need a little extra help, another thing, there are so many hilarious, um, try not to laugh challenges. That's one of my favorite things that's been on I the internet. I have that in my note too. No yes. way. Yes. And dad joke them. challenges, dad joke challenges. I mean, Father's Day is coming up. One of the things that we've been wanting to do with our family actually the last two years is print out a list of dad jokes and have the men go if we can get together with family by June um have the men go head to head (laughs) saying dad jokes (laughs) like there's just there's these ways these little nudges if you need a little help getting this back into there's also like the would you rather conversations with your kids I got one of my kids for Christmas um a would you rather book but it's called the ew edition so it's got gross oh. would you rathers in it and it really gets like that conversation and that humor going um leave jokes leave little jokes throughout your house I love <laughs> I totally do this or I write little notes on things my kids will find when I'm dead um like on recipes and stuff there's so many things hidden through my oh, recipe box that they'll find when I'm dead and I already <laughs> laugh about it now um yeah leave the little jokes in their, in their lunch um, boxes right yes your 12 year old son will roll his eyes so hard but be the mom make them roll their eyes it's just be that woman I just think it's awesome because big picture they will remember that fondly Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a good benchmark to see how you're doing in all these endeavors is if you fail the not try not to laugh challenges, yes, which yes. I always do. It's like the title page and I'm already giggling. Yes. I know it's going to be too much for me to handle. Yes. Um, yeah, I love what you're saying. Um, there is so much that is available to us too. So yeah, you're right. Like even if you are not there, you're in yourself yet. Um, I mean, the internet is a wellspring of comedy, especially if you know where to look, is what you're saying. I love those Sarah's Scribbles comics that are on Facebook. Um, I don't know, some of you who are listening might know who I'm talking about. It's just very short comic strips, but very, like, sarcastic. I have a very sarcastic sense of humor. And um, I think with a little bit of intentional Googling, uh, you will be able to find your little corner and there Absolutely. are other people there already waiting yes, for you. Yes, just waiting for you. <laughs> and I have to praise Gen Z again. I know what this keeps coming up, but again, I'm in that stage where I have a 14-year-old, so I'm really kind of seeing what that generation is up to. They're hilarious. They are yes. producing so much funny content on some of the social media apps. And mm-hmm. so they, my kids always show it to me. It's its whole own brand of humor, things I haven't gotten before, but it, there's great, great stuff coming. They are not taking themselves as seriously as we have. I think Gen Z is really learning a lot from our, sadly, from our generation, and they are mm-hmm. making some really great changes. So I'm really encouraged by the excellent and original comedy and and stuff that is being produced right now by the teenagers and into their early 20s. Some really good stuff out there. Mm-hmm. So we've already been talking about this, but it's so clear. I think we can all admit this, that our joy is contagious and that there are a lot of benefits 
of laughing. I mean, like biologically, psychologically, like there are actual benefits mm-hmm. to our bodies and being silly. And this is especially important in our vocations as wives and mothers. It's just, I really believe it's, it's laugh therapy. I read somebody say that you, we need to pursue silly. And I love mm. that. We know we set the emotional tone. And I know that if you're not there right now and you're hearing that, cause I've heard this myself, you just think I can't carry that right now. I also now can't be the emotional tone setter for my house, but you already are, whether you mm-hmm. are willing to mm-hmm. admit that or not, you are. And so, you know, just like our bad moods are contagious, our joy is contagious. So how, Michelle, how important is it as wives and mothers, do you think, is that we spread that kind of lightheartedness within our own families? Mm. Well, I mean, ditto, like your Mm. thoughts to my thoughts on this one. I definitely notice that when I'm in a dour mood, the rest of the house tends to be more solemn too. Mm -hmm. And then the, the opposite is also true. Sometimes, and maybe this is an encouragement, but sometimes I think we may confuse being lighthearted with being hysterical or mm. very high energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and some some people might be, right? Like sometimes even within yourself, your own moods might be. Sometimes I'm very, very loud and um, slapsticky at home, but I have <laughs> yeah. to say that that's <laughs> either it's A, not intentional <laughs> or... B, that's not my MO, like every second of every day. I would actually find that really exhausting. Um, Like I said, I have more of a dry sense of humor. Mm -hmm. But I think it's probably better just to be consistently someone, and this is a good starting point, who smiles at people, Mm, right? This is is about lightening up or um, being lighthearted as a disposition. Not necessarily everyone has to be a comedian. That also may not be the utopia that we've been talking about this whole (laughs) episode, if everybody was a comedian. But that's a good place to start, is just smile at people. Indulge the amateur attempts of your kids knock-knock jokes with (laughs) a chuckle and a hair ruffle. Like it doesn't need to be fall off your seat laughing every single time for people to realize that you are someone they can count on to be lighthearted and of a joyful nature. And maybe that kind of puts it into a more tangible, realistic realm if this is not something that you're naturally feeling right now. Oh, I love that. That is such an important point because I am quite slapsticky all day. I am a bit too much for myself too. Um, And so I, that is very natural for me, but you're absolutely right that I think some people, it, it is, it can be too much and it might be way too daunting to think you have to jump into being a comedian. So I love that you said that, that you start with a disposition and that is a smile. That's how you can start to work your way up towards that. Just that playful look on your face. We, I loved our episode on playful parenting. Remember how Mm -hmm. we were talking about how you don't have Mm -hmm. to always be on the floor playing with your kids to be a playful parent. It's the same thing. You don't have to be a comedian to be funny. Like you don't, it doesn't have to be like, yeah, constantly being like a Rodney Dangerfield, um, in your house and having these little (laughs) one-liners and zingers all the time. Although that's also awesome. (laughs) One of my favorite examples of this actually would be my papa, my grandfather on my mother's side. Now he had Parkinson's disease for many decades. And by the time we were born, the cousins, he was already pretty advanced. Mm -hmm. And so I don't actually have a lot of conversational memories with my papa. He couldn't do very much with us. But I'll always remember 
this one time he would sit in a in a wheelchair um and watch some tv sometimes and if we were there visiting the cousins we'd kind of like take over the tv <laughs> mm-hmm. but we'd sit with him he would throw things at us from his chair but it took a lot of effort for him to do that because mm-hmm. like the muscles were so tense mm-hmm. and he'd take his time wind up he had a good arm and a wicked aim and he would nail us with towels and like things out of nowhere and when you look back he'd have just the slightest like smile and smirk on his face and you knew he was joking with you and so I think that's such a yeah a great illustration of what we're trying to say it's like um yeah you don't have to be a stand-up comedian all the time to be a funny person and to enjoy humor absolutely and you know uh, my humor can tend to sometimes be a bit dark you know jason is a police officer so we have that whole gallows humor thing um a way of Mm. really getting through some of the most horrific things he has seen um and uh, but i have to say even outside of policing my family so that same grandmother who would throw the fake egg at the other old ladies mm-hmm. um when she was in hospice so it was the last couple of days of her life and we were all around her that woman di- didn't stop she was still laughing on her deathbed and we were laughing around mm-hmm. her and we have the most amazing memories of her passing as a family and oh. I know that that's not the case for everybody. I'm not saying you have to be like, well, now we have to laugh around a deathbed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that um, that as a family, as your family culture, right, you can mm-hmm. figure out what, how to approach sometimes the most serious and sad things that just to find that little bit of lightness in there, that's something we've been conditioned to do, Jason and I, because of his job. But I also see that has come through my family. Um, We know that laughter, it releases endorphins. It can relieve stress and tension in a physical way. It boosts your Mm. immune system. It protects your heart. Like, so those are serious things and laughter can have a huge impact on our actual health. And so trying to, again, like you're saying, step back big picture and be like, there's got to be something funny in this. There has to be. I mean, we have gone through countless floods in the properties that we own, serious floods. And in the minute we're standing in the water, we turn each other with tears and laughter. Like there's, there's <laughs> funny moments in, in that stuff as well. So it can be used as a coping strategy. It can be a way that we teach our children how to navigate those more serious things in our life. Um, and it's incredibly bonding. If you are going through mm. something, sometimes a little sad or scary or traumatic and somebody can crack a joke, you are instantly bonded in a, in a new way in what's going on. Okay. So looking back at our kids, I was thinking back to when my kids were babies and I'm sure all of you did the exact same thing. And when they would start to giggle and you know, when they would giggle and then you would giggle harder mm. and then they would giggle harder and then you would giggle harder. And in your head, you're like, I can't believe my baby is laughing. Like it's the most yes. incredible sound ever. And then you would do whatever you could to make them giggle. Well, I was wondering, are we still doing that with our kids? Are we still doing whatever we can to get a giggle out of them? Mm -hmm. I know that as moms, sometimes we worry that if we make light of everything, then we are making light of everything that our kids won't take us seriously if it is a disciplinary thing or they won't Mm -hmm. understand the gravity of the situation if we're constantly joking about things. So I know that sometimes we think, well, I can't crack a laugh, especially if you're trying to discipline them and you're trying not to laugh. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we think, well, we can't be like that, but I firmly believe, and I've always led with humor in my marriage and in my mothering that it is possible to do both. But I think that that can sometimes be a little daunting to some women 
when they think, mm-hmm. I don't know how to mother and be a bit silly with them because then kids can then take it a bit too far and their silliness, right? We're like, oh man, I started this as the mom, but now they're just farting nonstop and we're all, <laughs> it's just gone way beyond. <laughs> But they won't know how to do that unless we guide them through that. Just like with every aspect Mm -hmm. of motherhood, we have to model it and then we have to guide them. And I've seen that especially when they are about to become teenagers. I have a 12-year-old boy, you guys. So trust me, where I've watched him experimenting with humor, pushing the boundaries, learning how to be sarcastic, learning how to do a few things where we're like, nope, that was too far. There have been times where my husband and I have been like, you're going to get a pop in the nose by somebody if you say that <laughs> to somebody else. <laughs> and maybe you'll deserve that little pop in the nose so that you'll learn. But yeah, it's I really do feel like it's a, it's a very important part of our motherhood to learn mm-hmm. how to weave that humor through those moments as well. And I think it comes down to weaving the whole message of don't take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in your motherhood too, I think we can trust ourselves a little bit better than we probably do to navigate and to sense when the appropriate time and place for everything is, right? Like uh, don't don't try to force it too much. I think more often than not, we'll know when we can joke and we'll know when we have to be serious and our kids follow our lead, right? So if we do need to buckle down and get serious, I think we can trust that they'll get the message a little bit more than we may be worried. Uh, We may confuse them. And the same can be said for our marriages, right? Like getting a laugh out Mm -hmm. of your husband. And um, I was reading about this because researchers have actually tried to figure out the place of humor in, in relationships and why biologically we would seek to be playful with the opposite sex. And so they've actually studied this from an evolutionary standpoint. I'm saying that, (laughs) Not to, I don't want people to start fighting over the whole evolution thing, <laughs> but mm. I, that's the word used in it, right? Like, why would we evolve to have senses of humor? Because it's not necessary mm. to our survival. Um, and in fact, if, if you're being too loud or too boisterous, I mean, it might scare away the animal you're trying to kill, or it might let the enemy know where you're hiding. So they really have researched right. why we've developed senses of humor. And I thought this was so interesting. And so they were proposing that when women see men being playful, they think, okay, that man's not as aggressive or scary. He would make a good partner. He Mm. would make a good spouse. And when men see women being playful, they think she's going to be a great mother. Um, Mm. She's going to interact well with children one day. And even if we don't know we're thinking that, they're they're saying that that's actually what our brain does when we see that in somebody of the opposite sex. So this just continues through into playfulness in our marriages, right? And Mm -hmm. so when you see your potential spouse being playful, and a little flirty, well, you you might think, hey, this person's somebody I might have some fun with for the rest of my life. Um, but it also goes beyond that. And you think if they can cut the tension with humor, they're a mm-hmm. good communicator. They're a good person who mm-hmm. can pick up on tone. They might understand me better. And there's somebody I want beside my beside me, right? And all of those ups and downs and some of those dramatic moments. So um, it actually, there's so much more that I think that we're not even realizing about being playful and having humor when you look at a potential spouse or Mm -hmm. somebody, you know, if you're looking at maybe fixing your marriage, it's just so much more of a part of a relationship than I even realized. Mm -hmm. That's true. I think we can be the dependable people of joy for others Mm. around us, right? I know that when I'm having a bad day, there are people in my head I can think of that if I call them, I know (laughs) that they're going to 
cheer me up, yes. right? Um, because they are people who are disposed to just being light and seeing the lightness of the situation or the ideal or the optimistic point of view. And there'll be someone who will be able to either laugh or make me laugh. And sometimes that's what we're looking for. Often that's what we're looking for. And that we can be that for other people too, by forming ourselves to be people who are disposed to joy and a joyful outlook on life. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? You know that I'm loving Acorn TV. I keep telling you all about Mm. it. We uh, Mm -hmm. added it. We have BritBox and Acorn now, and I'm so, so happy. Um, There is a show on there that I binged over two days, and it's only four episodes, but it's the most TV I've watched in a long time. So (laughs) I did binge it. Um, And now this show made me super emotional, and it also forced me to step back and really look at our life. Um, Okay, so it's called 1900 Island. Have you ever heard of it? Mm, no, I haven't. Okay. There's earlier versions of this type of show that I have watched before, um, like 1900s House and Coal House. There's a couple versions of 1900s House. So they've done this in England for a while, actually, since the late 90s. They've been producing this series, but this is a brand new one. And so again, it's called 1900 mm. Island. And the it's a British family that agrees to go back in time and live like their ancestors did. This one, though, apparently is the most realistic one they've ever done. And they put a full two years of planning and research into this one before they put the families into the situation. Mm. The four families live on an isolated island in North Wales, and they live for just one month, but they live as a fishing family where they have to depend totally on fishing. And Mm. they live in these cottages that have been there, um, gosh, at least for 120 years. These cottages have been abandoned for the last 70. So they've been cleaned up and the families have moved in. So it just made my heart swell watching these men, these modern men go back who've had to, it's all in their hands to feed their families. And if they don't catch anything, their families starve. And then watching how the women then work themselves, you know, their fingers to the bone, trying to make these small cottages into their homes. And when their husbands can't get the fish, what the women do to be creative and inventive, Mm. and then how the community helps each other out. I'm emotional saying it. It is the best four hours of television I have watched in a very long time. So I don't know if it's available anywhere else but um acorn tv is 100 worth it for its documentary documentaries and quality programming and this show 1900 island is just excellent wow i'm gonna have to check that out that sounds so thought-provoking as well as entertaining right so good yes yeah that's a winning combination so what have you been loving this week so i finally finished my first book of 2021 (laughs) I feel like I've kind of hit a bit of a slump for the first bit of the year there, but I was very happy to read and then finish this one this week. It's uh, The Anti-Mary Exposed Mm -hmm. by Dr. Carrie Gress. Um, Some of our listeners may be familiar with this book. It's been um, having some censorship issues online um, Mm -hmm. these last few weeks. So uh, actually, this book has been on my to-be-read list (laughs) for a few months now. Uh, It's a book outlining and detailing the history of the feminist movement um, and how, in so many ways, it ironically is ultimately anti-women in a lot of different factors and factions. 
But what I like is that it's not simply an emotional appeal or a sentimental approach. I really loved how to the point it is. It It's with facts. It's with data. It's with citations, quotes, dates, true anecdotes from history. It's all laid out in a really user-friendly but direct and honest way, um, showing how we kind of got to where we are now as women. And then here's the important part, what to do about it going forward. So it's ultimately a message of hope and finding a true model for our femininity in the the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, the author is a devout Catholic, and uh, there are huge connections and contrasts to redeeming a womanhood and a true sense of being proud of our gender, proud of our sex in the context, in the right contexts, and in a rightly ordered way. So I know we haven't spoken much specifically about the feminist movement here on the podcast, but I think that uh, some of our listeners may find this book very interesting, very enlightening, even from a just a historical perspective. I think it really shed a lot of interesting light on some things I hadn't considered before. So again, that's called The Anti-Mary Exposed, and it's written by Dr. Carrie Gress. I have it on my Kindle and I started it and I'm going to finish it during Lent. So thank you for that Mm -hmm. reminder. And like we've always believed on this podcast, uh, we're about women having different opinions and being able to have these conversations. And so I love that you're sharing it and that even if people listen to or read it and they don't agree with it, Mm -hmm. let's have this discussion because I feel like that other side hasn't been able to voice its side um, in a long time. And so I'm, I'm thankful for every woman's voice being able to come to the table and share their different perspectives on that. And actually, of particular interest in our area, especially, Dr. Carrie Grass, the author of this book, is going to be a speaker at the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference. It is a virtual event hosted here in, well, hosted in the Diocese of Toronto hosted by Dorothy Polarski and her Catholic Moms group. Now, we had the opportunity to speak with Dorothy in November, right, Lindsay? Mm -hmm. When we spoke about um, purgatory and praying for the holy souls. Um, And so this is another arm of that particular ministry. And they're very uh, excited and pleased to be able to host Dr. Carrie Grass. And so if this book sounds interesting, or if you have read it and you're looking for more information or looking for more from Dr. Grass, then uh, we'll put a link in our show notes and in our uh, website there to the conference. And we highly recommend that you check it out and see if you're free that day to tune in. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.